Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. It is our Bible study edition. We are covering the book of Esther. You'll find my notes for the study and the show notes if you're listening on podcasts. You'll also find a description if you're watching on YouTube or social media uh, platforms. You'll also find it in the description if you're watching on our Faith Plus app. I encourage you to study along with us. Take your own notes. I believe God is going to speak to your hearts. If you want more information about our ministry, you can find it at FCCGA.com. You can send in prayer requests. You can contact us. You can partner through us through financial generosity and find more things about what we're doing in the metro Atlanta area throughout Georgia. And as we continue to do what God has called us to do, to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Esther chapter 1, starting with verse 1. It says, now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. Now, who was this king? We know him from histories as Xerxes, and that's how I'm referring to him for the rest of the study. We know him from history as Xerxes. He is a Persian emperor or famously remembered from his invasion of Greece as portrayed in the movie 300. So this Xerxes was the son of Darius I and Atossa, the daughter of Cyrus. We learned about Cyrus in our previous study of the book of Daniel. After the death of Xerxes I, Xerxes ascended to the throne in 486 BC at the age of 35. The opening events of the book of Esther take place approximately 50 years after the events of Daniel 12. As we covered in our study of Daniel, by 37 BC, the Jews began their return to their homeland. So let's look at that in Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. We'll look at verse 1. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with them and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And so we see this happen in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and we know some of the events of the book of Ezra that happened right after that. We see this happen during the end of Daniel's time of his place of influence. We know he's still an influence in office a few years after that. And the latter revelations and visions he had in the book of Daniel, we see and we cover it extensively in our study of the book of Daniel, which is available on our Faith Plus app and our YouTube channel. And the notes are still in the Uversion Bible app for you to access. So what happened after these things? By 20 BC, Haggai and Zechariah began their prophetic ministry in Jerusalem. However, not all the Jews returned to Israel. There are many who stayed in the places where they were scattered all around the uh, the known world at that time. Now, this also includes the heroic family of the book of Esther, who we'll be talking about tonight and throughout the study. The book of Esther takes place in the gap of time found in the middle of the book of Ezra. When you study the book of Ezra, you see Exodus chapter 6 and chapter 7. There's a spot in Ezra chapter 7 where there is a gap of time that happens before the later events of the book of Ezra. And this is when the book of Esther takes place. So this is about 50 years after the end of the book of Daniel. And this is right in the middle of the book of Ezra. So let's go to Esther chapter 1 verse 2. Let's continue to set the scene of what's going on here. Esther chapter 1, verse 2. In those days when King Xerxes sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the citadel, that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom, 
and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who were present in Shusen, the citadel, from great to small in the court of the garden of the king's palace. In the book of Daniel, our main location was Babylon. In the book of Esther, we have moved to Susa in modern-day Iran. It is believed that the tomb of Daniel is located in Susa as well. Xerxes is the leader of the Persian Empire. This is the silver part of the statue, the ram, and the bear of the visions of the book of Daniel. In the latter part of Xerxes' feast, Queen Vashti holds a feast for the women. Xerxes commands for the queen to come to his feast in order to show her off to all the nobles gathered. Now this celebration, remember, we already see one part is 180 days in this last week celebrating the end of the feast. So he's showing off all his riches, everything he's got during this time. And now at the end of this feast, he calls for the queen to be brought in so he can show off his queen as well. Now we see that Queen Vashti refuses. The Bible does not say why she refused, but we know that it resulted in Xerxes' anger and her being deposed as queen. This opening chapter sets the understanding that it was dangerous to refuse the king's summons. I'll say it again. This opening chapter sets the understanding that it was dangerous to refuse the king's summons. Later chapters revealed that it was dangerous to approach the king without being summoned. Later chapters revealed that it was dangerous to approach the king without being summoned. So one of the things you see about Xerxes, he is a dangerous king. We know different stories from history. He wasn't known for always having rational thought. He is known for outbursts of anger and rash actions. And we see that here portrayed in Esther chapter 1. Now, let's look at this. You know, we're going over some of the verses of chapter 1, but let's do a summary right here. This book starts out with feasts filled with alcohol and a drunken ruler. The next chapter leads to a beauty pageant and search for a new queen an assassination attempt, and begins to set the scene for plots of murder and genocide that are revealed later in the book. So this book has a lot of things in it, and a lot of things are going on. But God is still at work in the midst of all the craziness of mankind. So let's go to chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to start with verse 5. Esther chapter 2, verse 5. In Susa the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. So we have to ask a question to see all this information. Is this information important to our study? We're doing a Bible study. So is this information of Mordecai's lineage important? It actually is. Why? Kish is a royal family of Israel. Kish is a royal family of Israel. Now, if you're watching online, I want you to put in the chat. Who, well, whose royal family is Kish? Where is he from in Israel? What royal family do we know from Kish? Or who is the king? Let's say it this way. Who is the king that came from the family of Kish? If you know that, go ahead and put it in the chat. You might be listening on podcasts or watching another format. Go ahead with those around you just by yourself. Do you know who it is? If so, just go ahead and say it out loud. And if you're watching the chat, go ahead and put it in a place where you can put it in the chat. So if you're a person and you're watching online and there's a chat, go ahead and put your answer in the chat. Who is the king that came from the family of Kish, that Benjamite tribe of Kish? Kish is a royal family in the Bible. It is the family of King Saul. Kish is the family of King Saul. So Mordecai and Esther are descendants of the family of Kish. Now that's important to something else we're going to reveal later in the study. 
But this book is setting up all the things that are going on, all the nuances, all the background. It's a lot going on at one time. So we see that Mordecai and Esther are descendants of the family of Kish. They're related to King Saul. So Esther chapter 2 verse 6 says, Kish, so that family had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah. And we covered why they were captured. We covered all the things that happened in our study of the book of Daniel, specifically in Daniel part one. So if you missed that statement, well, why were they taken away? All those different things that are with that. I encourage you to look at Daniel part one. It's available on our Faith Plus app and our YouTube channel and the notes, the extensive notes I did for that one are available on our app as well. Whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. Hadassah is Esther's Hebrew name. That is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when Esther's parents died, Mordecai adopted his cousin Esther and raised her as his own daughter. Let's go to verse 8. So it was when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Susa, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther was also taken to the king's palace, into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. As we already covered, there's a beauty pageant release throughout the empire to gather the most beautiful women in the empire and to be, search for a new queen. Now the young woman pleased him, talking about Esther, and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparation to her besides her allowance. And so we talked about this last week in ending the book of Daniel. We'll talk about it more next week. That the favor got those upon Esther opened doors for her that no man can close. So we see here in this voice, this verse, that not only was Esther given everything that everyone else was given, she was given even more. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of women. So now she's in the best place with the best setup with a crew supporting her because of the favor of God. Esther had not revealed her people, her family for Mordecai, had charged her not to reveal it. So no one knows that Esther is a Jew because Mordecai taught her, don't you tell anybody who you are or where you're from. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. So Esther is in the women's quarters in this part of this women's palace and Mordecai every day is in the garden walking around trying to get information and news about what's going on with his cousin who he adopted as his daughter. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Asherah's after she had completed 12 months of preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation portion, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. So they, she had a year of spa-like treatments to get ready to have an opportunity to become queen. So let's skip down to verse 15. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's unit, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. And we'll dive into that. We mentioned that last week, but that favor wasn't just upon, affected Haggai. That favor affected everybody. So if you came into the presence of Esther, you were impacted by the favor that was upon her life. So Esther was taken to King Asherus and to his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth and the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants. And he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. 
as I've already mentioned, and I'll mention it again, the favor of God had a tremendous impact on the life of Esther, just like it did on the life of Daniel. And God's favor is upon your life as well. So let's pause right now. Go ahead and put it in the chat and say it out loud. Say, the favor of God is upon my life. Come on, say it out loud. Put it in the chat as well. Say, the favor of God is upon my life. One more time. Say, the favor of God is upon my life. Let's go to verse 19. When talking about this, this group of women who became the king's harem were gathered together a second time. Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now, the gate was a place for elders and city officials, and Mordecai was there. Some believe he became a city official or worked for the palace or worked for the king by this point. And so he's just in a place of position, a place of influence. He's at the right place at the right time. Why is that important? The New Living Translation says it this way. Verse 19, even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. Verse 21, the new King James says, in those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's units, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on uh, King Xerxes. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Because Mordecai was in the right place at the right time, he heard information and was able to pass the information to Queen Esther, and it saved Xerxes' life. And so after this assassination attempt and plan was foiled, they wrote it down in the book of Chronicles in the king's presence and left it at that. And then the story moves on. And then in chapter 3, we're in introduced to another important person of the book of Esther. We've been introduced to Xerxes, Vashti, Esther, Mordecai. Now we see another main character in the book, the villain. Esther chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the son of Hamethada, the Agite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. Now, just like we paused when we looked at Mordecai and Esther's family, is it important for us to know that Haman is an Agite? And you may say, well, what in the world is an Agagite? What, what in the world is that? It actually is important to the story. Why? This reveals to us that Haman was a royal descendant of the Amalekite king, Agag. And if you're a Bible scholar, you remember Agag and Saul and Samuel and what happened in 1 Samuel between those three. The Amalekites and Israel were enemies from the days of the book of Exodus. If you remember when the children of Israel first left Egypt, the Amalekites came and attacked them. And we know the story of how God gave them victory as Moses' hands were lifted up and all the things that kept happening on their behalf. So the Amalekites and Israel were ancient enemies from the days of the book of Exodus to the days of the book of Judges, which we covered in our previous study of the book of Judges, through the time of Saul, David, and even to the days of Hezekiah. So they're ancient enemies. So we see an ancient enemy of Israel arise to a position of influence. You say, well, is he really an enemy of Israel? Keep reading and you'll see why. All the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them. Then they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, 
Haman was filled with wrath, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, they cast Pir, that's Lot, but through dice, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then King Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all your provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all the other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I would pay 10,000 talents of silver into the, in the hands of those who do the work to bring into the king's treasuries. So he creates a story. He creates a narrative, says, and I'll pay for it. And he convinces the king to order. He didn't the extermination of all the Jews throughout his empire because he does not like Mordecai and he, rem he, know he is carrying on the ancient feud between the Malachites and the Jews. And so we see what happened in Exodus and in Judges and 1 Samuel and all the different things and the continual wars between them and the reason of those wars. And so we see an ancient fight has started again. An ancient enemy has risen again. Now, come on, you have to think about this, and you can look at it in your own life, that the Jews at this time weren't even thinking about Malachites. They were living in Iran. They were living in Persia. There's a Persian emperor. For most of them, they probably even think about that or even remembered it. And there's sometimes, have you ever had in your life where all of a sudden an, an old problem, an ancient problem, something you thought was dealt with shows up again, and you have to deal with it again? You have to fight it again? And that's a small point in our life, but this is the big thing that was happening in the book of Esther. And so if your person said, yeah, I, I've dealt with that before, I thought I handled it, all of a sudden it happens again and it shows up again. I believe the study is going to encourage you to deal with it so you walk in victory and never have to deal with it again. Now let's keep reading. Notice the king's reaction. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamethod, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. So notice, it even says it in the scripture, that his hostility is not just against Mordecai, it's against all the Jews. And the king said, Haman, the money that people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the fishes, all the people, to every province according to the script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Xerxes, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by Curtis to all the king's prophets to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out and hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Susa the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was perplexed. And so one of the things we'll cover in the study, this wasn't just a last minute plan. This was a well thought out genocide plan. This wasn't just one person or a group of soldiers going all this. This was a well planned to go throughout the Persian Empire. So an ancient enemy had arisen to destroy the people of God. This is a dangerous time under a dangerous king. In the midst of the drunkenness, assassination attempts, and plots for genocide, God is at work. Now the thing is, we have a lot of things that are going on in our world today. There's a lot of things going on in so many places, but I want to encourage you, God is at work. 
you might have a lot of things going on in your life. A lot of things like, I don't know why this is happening, how this is happening. It's a new year, but there's a lot of stuff going on. I want to encourage you tonight. God is at work in your life. See, one of the things that's unique about the book of Esther is the only book of the Bible where God isn't mentioned. Have you ever realized that? For those of you who've read the book before, this is the only book where God is not mentioned. His name is not mentioned. God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. And you think, well, that seems weird because the Bible is about God and God's dealings with man. Now we have a book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. What does that lead us to do? It leads us to dive into this book and see how God is at work. So go ahead and put it in the chat and put it in your own personal notes. Say, this leads us to dive into the book and see how God is at work. Go ahead, put it in the chat or put it in your notes. Say, this leads us to dive into this book and see how God is at work. This leads us to dive into this book and see how God's at work. And as we look at this in this book, these are two questions I want you to ask yourself as we dive into this book. These are two questions I want you to ask yourself in view of your own life. Number one, has there ever been times in your life where God was at work and you didn't realize it? Has there ever been times in your life where God was at work and you didn't realize it? Number one question again, you see in the notes. Number one, has there ever been times in your life where God was at work and you didn't realize it? Second question, have you ever just been at the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing? Number two, have you ever just been at the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing? So the two questions you see in your notes and I want you to contemplate on them tonight. Two questions one more time. Has there ever been times in your life where God was at work and you didn't realize it? Have you ever been at the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing? Let's back up again to Esther chapter 2 verse 21. In those days while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thin and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. So the matter became known to Mordecai who told Queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. So we see that Mordecai just happens to be in the king's gate with the king's officials at the right place in this position of influence. He comes upon this information and he does the right thing with it. Well, how does that relate to the book? Let's skip ahead in our story to Esther chapter 6, verse 1, as we begin to close out for tonight. Esther chapter 6, verse 1. That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who sought to lay hands on King Asherus. Then the king said, What honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who was in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servants said to him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, who would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed upon his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that he has spoken.
Well, well, look at this. Mordecai was in the right place at the right time, did the right thing with the information he was given. And then all of a sudden, there comes a time when the king couldn't sleep and he needed something to do, whether to help him sleep or just pass the time. He called for them to ring to read the chronicles of the king's records. And as he was reading, he comes upon the story of how Mordecai saved his life. And then he asks his attendants, hey, did we do anything to thank Mordecai? Do we do anything to honor him? And they said, we haven't done anything. And so he asks the question, well, who's outside in my court? And Haman just happens to be there. Well, why was Haman there? As we'll study next week, Haman came there with a plot to murder, Mordecai, to murder Mordecai in advance of all the other plans he had planned to do. And so he showed up to get the king's permission to take Mordecai out. He just happened to be there when the king asked. And when Mordecai, when uh, Haman came in to wanting to tell his plan about Mordecai, God flips the script and the king decides to honor Mordecai. Now look at this at the right place at the right time. As we're diving in this book, we see the hand of God. We see that God set up a situation where Mordecai could hear the information. And Mordecai, being a just man, made the right decision with that information. And then it comes a night where the king couldn't sleep and God orchestrates the events for them to read the right thing and for Mordecai to be honored and for to open the door, as we'll see later in this series, for God to deliver his people. And so I ask you those questions again, has there ever been times in your life where God was at work and you didn't realize it? Because when we look back in the past to see how God was at work and brought you through things and delivered you and helped you, you can look at your life now and your future and know, man, he did it before, he'll do it again. You know, as we like to sing in the song, which we'll sing again tonight, even when we don't feel it, he's working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. And number two, have you ever just been at the right place at the right time with the right people doing the right thing? Now, Psalm 37, verse 23 says it this way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Romans 8, 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So you should let God lead you in every area of your life. Because there's some times when you think, well, I just, I'm just here, or this is where God wants me, I'm just doing my job because this is where God assigned me. And you don't think what you're doing is that important. But no, God has you at the right place at the right time. Remember, you are the salt of the earth. You are this light of the world, this world. God is working in times when we don't feel it or see it. And just like we see in the book of Esther, he was working behind the scenes in the book of Esther. He's working behind the scenes in your life, causing you to be at the right place at the right time with the right people so that you can do the right thing. God is at work whether you realize it or not. So as we end tonight's message and we end this experience, I want to lead you in a confession brought from tonight's teaching. Say it with me. Say, the favor of God is upon my life. The Spirit of God lives within me. I follow His leading. I follow His direction. I am the salt of this earth. I am the light of this world. I am always in the right place at the right time, with the right people, doing the right thing. I am not an accident. I am a miracle going somewhere to happen. My steps are ordered by the Lord. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every single person on the sound of my voice. I pray that you continually grant us wisdom and understanding, that you help us walk in the ways that please you and walk in ways where it leads us to fulfilling the call and the plan of God for our lives. We thank you for making us a salt of this earth and the light of this world. We thank you for placing your favor upon our lives. We thank you that your plans for our lives are good. And as we look through 
are the lens of your goodness and of your blessing to look at 2023. Help us set the right plans. Help us make the right goals so that we can go in the right direction and know we believe that we're going to exceed those goals because your goodness upon our life. We believe we're experiencing extreme goodness of God in our lives this year. So, Father, we receive your help, your direction, your wisdom, your encouragement, your correction, and your help so that we can do what you've called us to do. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. That was part one of our study of the book of Esther. Once again, remember my notes are in the show notes if you're listening on podcasts. They're also available in the description if you're watching on social media or on our Faith Plus app. If you want to partner with us through your faithful generosity, you can do so by going to FCCGA.com and giving online. Or you can give by text by texting FCCGA to 73256. We want to hear from you, however you're watching, wherever you're watching. If you're watching a place where you can comment, go ahead and comment below how the study has encouraged you. Or you can email us at info at FCCGA.com. And you can also download our Faith Plus app. On our Faith Plus app, we have thousands of hours of faith-building content that will encourage you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith. Have a great day.